they're just not cutting it and you've had conversations along the way and the market and other competing properties are passing you by on rent premiums and occupancy and or your expenses are higher than normal, then you need to make the switch. Best ever listeners, we have launched bestevercauses.com. That's bestevercauses.com. We profile a nonprofit or cause that is near and dear to our heart, get the word out about their cause, and also donate money towards their cause. If you'd like to, one, learn more about the causes that we're profiling, we do one a month, then go to bestevercauses.com. And if you want to suggest a cause that we profile that is near and dear to your heart, then go to bestevercauses.com. And there's a little form at the bottom of the page where you can submit one and we'll check it out. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. And today we got follow along Friday with Theo Hicks. And we're talking about how to approach firing your property management company. And specifically, we're talking about apartment communities management company. So we are not talking about a single family home management company. Although I'm sure some of these principles mm-hmm. could be applied to single family home. But this is specific to apartment community. So we will talk about five things you should keep in mind whenever you're transitioning. And then some kind of soft skills that I recommend that you practice while you're transitioning from one to another. So with that being said, we'll go ahead and get right into it. So before we go into the five things, let's start off by discussing when we should be parting ways with our property management company. So what are the types of things that a property manager would do that would warrant you firing them? And maybe we can talk about how long they'd have to be doing those things. They do it one time and they're gone for each of the ways. There are two things that a property management company could be or should be fired for. Well, three really now I say that. The third that I just thought of is any criminal or fraudulent activity, but we'll leave that aside. Assume they're not criminals, although I've interviewed guests who have had criminals or people doing criminal activity as a property management company, but let's put that aside. One is execution and two is communication. If they are not executing properly, or they're not communicating with you along the way, then those are both fireable offenses. Because even if they're executing very well, if they're not communicating with you or responsive when you have your questions, then you're not going to know what's going on with your investment and you're flying blind. And even if they are executing effectively, perhaps they won't in the future and you won't know about it because they're not communicating with you. So those are the two categories for why I would fire a property management company. We have, my company has let go a property management company. So this isn't conceptual. This is Mm -hmm. real stuff that we've gone through as a company. And these are some tips that we'll get into for when you come across a time when you need to fire a company that's managing your apartment building. These are some things that will help you make that transition as smooth as possible. There will be rough patches. You're removing one management company that is overseeing an apartment building or community and is deeply integrated into the process of that and you're putting in a new one. So there's going to be some rough patches. But after listening to our conversation today, 
you'll be able to make it a much smoother process than if you hadn't. Okay. So for the communication, the execution aspect, how long, because I can imagine you'd have your property management company and they would maybe not be doing exactly what you want them to do, but you're in your mind thinking, well, do I fire them or do I just wait a little bit longer to see if they get their act together? So from your perspective, would you recommend giving them one warning and then after that it's, it's over? Or would you recommend just the first time they make a mistake, finding someone else? Or how would you approach that? I don't have a direct answer. The reason why I don't have a direct answer is because it depends on your length of relationship and your knowledge about them to begin with. Because perhaps they performed on previous properties and you have a seven-year relationship with them. And now for whatever reason, they're just not performing or not communicating with you properly on this property. In that scenario, I would give them a longer leash. What that longer leash is, I don't exactly know. Let's talk about execution. So if they're not executing, so the expenses are higher, the property is not at the right occupancy, but the comps, and that's the key. You want to make sure it's not the market. You want to make sure it actually is the management (laughs) company because you need to be aware of what the market comps are doing. So is the occupancy similar to your property or is your property performing below the market? If it's performing below the market, then there's your red flag. And you can find out by talking to brokers in the area. You could find out by talking to other property management companies. If you have a pre-existing relationship with them, you want to be careful there because if you're talking to other property management companies and you have a current property management company and those two talk to each other, which they probably know each other already, then you might be putting yourself in hot water unnecessarily if you're simply trying to find information. So I recommend talking to a broker first versus other property managers. But find out if it truly is a execution problem or if it is a market problem. You don't want to put blame unnecessarily to a management company if it's not their problem. But then if it is a execution problem and you're seeing your numbers go down, then also make sure it's not a seasonality problem or something that is wrong with your property because perhaps your property doesn't have an amenity or isn't in a particular location, even though you've got market comps, but maybe the market comps are on a main thoroughfare with a lot of traffic, whereas yours is tucked away a little bit on a side street. So you really want to identify that it is their problem, not a market or even the place where the property is located or certain components of it. But once you've narrowed all that down, you eliminated those variables, then I would give it a quarter, one quarter, three months is my assessment And again, I don't have a direct answer because it depends on many variables, but three months time where they're just not cutting it and you've had conversations along the way and the market and other competing properties are passing you by on rent premiums and occupancy and or your expenses are higher than normal, then you need to make the switch. From a communication standpoint, same thing. You'll know pretty quickly if the communication just isn't there unless there is a new person who is your point person because a lot of times there can be turnover in the management business. And when you have turnover, different people have different communication styles. So make sure it's not the individual, but rather the process because if it's the individual, then perhaps you can have that individual 
replace with a different individual that will be your point person. Solid advice. So basically make sure that it actually is the property management company, not another factor, and then give it about a quarter before moving on. So that's the reasons why you would fire a property management company. Once you made the decision, obviously to find another property management company first, which we're not going to talk about right now because we have an ultimate guide. It's called the ultimate guide to finding a property management company on besteverblog.com. So if you just Google Joe Fairless, how to find a property management company, that article should come up and we go in depth onto how to find them, how to interview them and how to win them over to your side. So once you've made the decision, you find a new property management company, these are the five things that you need to do in order to ensure a smooth transition. And the first one is to address the staffing. So do you want to talk about the staffing, Joe? Yeah, that's important because as I mentioned earlier, you're replacing a management company and you're putting in a new company. That's a big deal. And if you can smooth out that transition by looking at the staffing at that property, and perhaps you want to keep some of those staff members. And that's also a tricky proposition because they would be switching companies, but that happens fairly frequently within the management world where one property manager, one actual community manager changes companies as the ownership changes and their Mm -hmm. property management company that employs them changes, whereas they might stay with that property. So that happens fairly regularly in the industry. Or maybe there's a leasing agent or maybe there's a maintenance person or people who you want to keep. So look to see if the new management company can vet the current staff and decide who stays and who goes. That way, if you have anyone worth keeping, you can attempt to keep them, which would smooth out that transition exponentially. Think about a maintenance person who's already got experience with the property, how much valuable intel Mm -hmm. he or she can provide to the new maintenance team or other maintenance members versus if you're going in from scratch because there's all sorts of nuances with every apartment community and different things that go wrong from a maintenance standpoint that it's very helpful to be aware of. So that's the first thing is you want to see if you can keep any of the staff members or if there any of them are worth keeping and have your new management company do that vetting process. Okay. Second after staffing is the financials of the property. That's important, obviously. Numbers are kind of important with what we do. And your new management company should request everything that they need and some specific documents. There's the historical profit and loss statement. And then also the chart of accounts. That's the list of income and expense items plus bad debt and delinquency. So make sure that they are first asking for it. And if they're not asking for those documents, that's a big red flag for your new management company. You might be in the same place three months from now. So make sure that they are asking for the proper documents, which they should be, and then make sure that they're actually getting access to those financial documents because they've got to pick up where the other one left off. Mm -hmm. And the challenge with financial statements in our business is that different companies label the same thing differently. You've come across this many times when you're underwriting. 
some line items that a company calls something, they'll call it something different. I mean, what are some examples that you've seen? Most of them, I see it with the contract services and turnkey expenses. So some properties managers will have a category for turnkey, a category for repairs, a category for contract services, but then other companies will just have maintenance and repairs and everything's listed underneath there. And one person might call something supplies, other person might have it split up between pool supplies, painting supplies, carpet supplies. So most of them, I see it through there. And then also sometimes they'll have administrative expenses kind of scattered throughout the T12. Sometimes they'll just be a line item just floating by itself that's supposed to be an admin expense, like a eviction cost or something like that. So those are the main ones that I've seen. But most of the time, you'll have trouble pulling out the turnkey and contract services costs if they have them all lumped into maintenance repairs. We've got to get those defined the same way and labeled the same way so that when the new management company transitions, there's not a, what the heck are these financial statements that I'm looking at reaction? Mm-hmm. You'll know exactly what goes into what category. And then for the rent rolls, but they need to get their hands on the rent rolls or will that be something that's available as a hard copy in the office? Yes. <laughs> yes to both. There should be hard copies of the leases mm-hmm. in the office and then they need to also have the version of the rent roll. Okay. So number three, it's probably would apply to value add and type of properties that you're doing renovations. You need to address the renovations at the property with the new property management company. Exactly. You'll need a list of what was and wasn't renovated. And it gets pretty darn confusing. Usually it's not a simple list of two columns, was renovated, wasn't renovated. <laughs> There's usually, was it partially renovated? If so, what did this partial renovation entail? Was it countertops and appliances or was it just light fixtures or was it just carpet in the living room and hardwood flooring? There's all sorts of different permutations of what a renovation might entail. And sometimes if you're lucky, you really notice this when you're buying properties from people who are renovating because then there's always sort of different types of renovations that they do. But you'll also notice it when you transition because maybe your team has partially renovated a unit because you had a current resident and they just wanted to do the partial renovation, but because of forever reason, but you got the same rent premiums or similar rent premiums relative to what you would have spent. Mm -hmm. So you need to make note of that. That way, you know, on the next turn, what you need to do to that unit. So getting the list of what was and wasn't renovated and also making sure that if they just give you that list of, hey, we renovated this, make sure that you know exactly what they did to renovate that unit. And if that was the same as all the other renovations, or if not, what did they do to that or those particular units that they didn't do to the other renovated units in order to determine where you're at and where you stand across the whole property. Okay. Number four is kind of related to renovations and that's getting the list of vendors in the hands of the new property management company. Yeah. You need the list of vendors because if you take over the property and you don't know who to call for certain things, then you're going to be in trouble. And even if you have relationships, which a property management company will have with other vendors, it's going to be a lot easier, at least in the near term, to work with some of those same vendors that the previous management company is working with just to get things done 
the first month of operation. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you're introducing a lot of new variables into the equation at once. And it's better to have a smoother transition. And how you do that is you introduce fewer new variables into the equation immediately. And then you, over time, introduce the new variables. And one of the new variables would be new vendors. Yeah, that's very important because you got to remember, this is after you own the property and you've owned it for a while, you're not taking it over and then going through that transition one time or doing it a second time. Yeah. And, um, so the less variables there are, the less that could go wrong. Yep. So the fifth thing that you need to do to ensure a smooth transition is to get the list of service contracts into the hands of the new property management company. The list of them and then also the actual contracts. So that includes pest control, the pool repair person, landscape, the security company, and the point person. And not only, as you said, have a list, but then also have the list of contracts but then the actual contracts so that you can then make sure that you know what you're adhering to. And you should know this already as the asset manager. It shouldn't be a surprise in terms of you're in a 10-year agreement with Time Warner. Wait, Spectrum now. (laughs) Spectrum. They changed their name, but they still got the same service or lack thereof. So maybe you're in a 10-year contract with Spectrum You should know that already because you should have already signed off on it or a laundry company, washing machine, dryers company, but you need the actual contract too. Okay. So those are the five things that you need to do to ensure the smooth transition. I said you had a couple other things you wanted to talk about how to approach the situation. Yeah. Here's the soft skills I was going to mention. One is relationship management. So we just gave you five tips for when you are firing a management company, what you need to take into account and make sure you've got addressed. But the soft skill is relationship management. And it is making sure that when you're telling the property management company that you're firing, that they are fired, that you don't say it the way I just said it. You don't say you're fired. Instead, you say something like, hey, this probably isn't a surprise to you, but we're just not performing based on the way that we all agreed that we could perform on the property. I've been talking to my investors and my other business partners, and they're pressuring me to make a move. And I don't really want to, but at this point, the numbers speak for themselves. And I've got to make the move because of all the pressure from these other people. So we need to transition from you to another group. And again, it's them. (laughs) I wish I could have more of a say here, but I'm sure you understand. And then what I did there, now I'm taking a step back outside of that role play thing. What I did there is I blamed it on other people. Mm -hmm. I didn't put me at the forefront of saying you're fired and I want you out. And the reason why is because it doesn't hurt the person's ego as much. And it also doesn't make me the point person they can come back to and make an argument for why they should stay. And the other thing that we'll do is when you're getting all those documents and the different things, the vendor list, service contracts, the renovation list, et cetera, your management point person should be doing that, not you. Mm-hmm. And they should be getting that information. They meaning your new management company point person should be getting it from someone else on 
the old person's team who's not the president. Because what happens is feelings get hurt when the president of the company or your original contact is being told they're fired and then told to give all this information to the new kid in town. So instead, have a regional manager contact another regional manager. And those regional managers, they're just doing their job. It's just business as usual. And they're not the emotions involved as there would be if you're working with the president of the company who just lost the account because their company's terrible on this property. So you're not dealing with the emotion. So those two tips help your transition be as smooth as possible. It will not be smooth, but I said as smooth as possible. One is blame other people for the change. Don't be the person who's saying it was my decision and you're out, buddy. And then the second is have one regional manager talk to another regional manager to get all the information we listed in steps one through five because emotions will likely be out of the equation. Feelings won't be hurt and it'll just be, hey, this is the business stuff we need to take care of. And then they can do that in the background. How long do you think that process, those five things take to do after you've told them they're fired, buddy, in a soft way? It depends, but two weeks to four weeks. Yeah, so I was thinking. Okay, so to summarize what we talked about, the two main reasons why you ever fire a property management company is lack of communication and lack of execution. Or fraud or something like that. Or if they're criminals. Criminal activity, yeah. And once you come to that decision, but Joe said waiting a quarter is probably a good idea before making the decision and making sure that it's the property management company is at fault and not some other factor like the market or the property itself. Once you've come to that decision, you need to find a new property management company first. And you can do that by reading that blog I mentioned, how to, the ultimate guide to finding a property management company. The five things you need to make sure that you address to ensure a smooth transition is the staffing, getting the financials, getting the list of renovations, getting the list of vendors, and getting the list of contractors and the actual service contracts that they have. And then the two additional things are to make sure that when you are actually talking to the property management company, don't just tell them that they're fired. Do it in a soft way. And also, when you're kind of collect or try to address these five things, make sure that you have a representative of the new property management company doing it and not you do it and make sure that they're talking to a regional manager and not the, the president of the company. I'm going to put one more thing in at the front end and that is make sure before you have any conversation with any property management company, you read your contract with that property management company. Mm, yeah, There might be a clause in there that you overlooked that it's 90 days or something notice there might be a clause that's 30 days or there might be a clause that says that regardless of if they're fired, they represent you when you sell the deal. And there's really nothing to do about that. That should be marked out prior to the contract. But you want to be aware of what the contract says you can and can't do and have your attorney look at it before you start making the waves about firing them and telling them that they're fired. Otherwise, it would be very awkward at minimum and at most, you could torpedo your investment because you could tell them you're fired. They could say, uh, actually, I'm not. The contract gives us 90 days notice. And okay, if you're giving me notice now, fine. But now we got three months. Oh, 
how's that property going to perform for the next three months? (laughs) Yeah. So you want to look at that first. That's good advice. So moving on to the next topic, some updates and observations. I've got one update. I think it was maybe two podcasts ago where we talked about all the different resident appreciation event ideas. And I was thinking of it more abstractly of, oh, you know, some apartment investor could do it. But you said, oh, Theo, you should do it. So I'm going to host an event. It's not going to be anything special. It's just going to be like a barbecue. We're going to cater Eli's barbecue. I'm sure you know what that is, Joe. I love Eli's. And I'm going to host it once because I think there's still a couple of residents that we're kind of finalizing a new lease for. So once that's done, everything's set in stone. We either got the new residents in or we've got the new leases signed. We're going to throw like an end of summer barbecue bash and we'll have free Eli's barbecue for everyone to enjoy. And my property management company is going to do that. So I won't be coming back to Cincinnati to do that. But I'm looking forward to I think it's a really good joy. It's very helpful that all the properties are right next to each other. So we can just do it in one of the nicer parking lots in the back. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm thinking just maybe an hour. And Because after I reached out to him, I was doing some more research on it. And a very popular thing to add to your bet is to have some sort of competition or a raffle, like where something is more than food is given away. Yep. So I'm still brainstorming ways to incorporate. It might just be something as simple as like this, a raffle. And someone gets like a $50 gift card to Eli's Barbecue or something. But uh, that's something I want to incorporate at my property. Maybe every quarter, every six months, host some sort of event there just to, again, the whole idea is I want them to stay because I've realized that when they stay, it's better for me than when they leave. So the hosting of the events are great ways to foster a sense of community so that people know each other and are less likely to leave. And they also like you because they know that, oh, in, in a couple of months, we're going to have another barbecue and I go somewhere else, I'm not going to have a barbecue or have a chance to get a gift card. I'm going to suggest one change to your approach and you can decide if you want to do it or not, but it's based on just psychology and how we think as human beings. Mm -hmm. And that is instead of making it an end of summer bash, make it a barbecue to show your appreciation and gratitude for them being residents of your property. And do not set expectations for doing it every couple months. Instead, just have it happen when it happens. Because when we as human beings expect something to happen, then there's a higher degree of expectation. And then we feel like it's something that we should receive. And if you don't do it, then it's taken away from us. Whereas if you do it randomly, even though wink, wink, randomly is every six months for you, but you just don't say it's every six Mm -hmm. months or every two months, then it will be a wonderful surprise that their landlord does for them. And it will be something that they are not entitled to from their perspective, but rather something that is an added benefit and is something pretty cool that their landlord does. I think I remember us talking about this before too, the expectations versus this random giving. I can't remember what the it's in, it's, was, yeah, I read a book and it was in there. Plus, it's clearly human nature just through life experiences. If you just randomly give someone something, it can be much less and equal the same amount of pleasure for that person than if you tell them, I'm going to give you something and then you give them it and they won't be as pleased, even though that might be much more in value as the one you that know. was surprising. 
I'm definitely getting to that approach. I thought you were going to say that I shouldn't call it the end of summer bash because that's kind of like depressing because now it's the end of the summer and <laughs> you're going back to school. <laughs> but we are changing the name for sure, but that's not the reason why. Yeah. Yep. All right. No, I appreciate that advice. It's good advice. So just a couple things to wrap up. Question of the week for the best ever community. So this is where we post a question and everyone in the best ever community.com on Facebook gets to respond. And last week we had a question about how long it took people from initially becoming aware of real estate to actually finding their first deal. And we got a lot of great stories. And so on a similar note, we're asking a question this week, which is what is the longest time you've taken to go from initially finding a deal to placing it under contract? Why did it take that long? And of course, if you've just instantaneously put that deal under contract, it's never happened to you before. What are some of the things that can be done to avoid that? So I'm looking forward to hearing people's stories on that. Definitely looking forward to hearing some developers talking about how long it takes from finding a deal to putting it under contract. Because I remember when I talked to Evan Holiday on the podcast, I think he said that the longest time it's taken him to go from a, finding a deal to contract might have been three years mm-hmm. for a development deal. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to hearing guys and girls' story on that. Developers earn every penny that they make. That is such a stressful business. I don't want. I don't <laughs> ever want any part of that. Ever, ever want any part of development. It's never going to be a fairless tower in Cincinnati. Unless it already exists and we, we buy it. Absolutely. We'll never do ground up development. Uh, and then lastly, please subscribe to the podcast on, on iTunes and leave a review. It's very helpful to get feedback on how the podcast is doing. And if you leave a review, we're going to read it on the podcast as the review of the week. This week, the review of the week was from Rob W. And then a bunch of numbers afterwards. What are the numbers? 00332288. If anyone can crack that code for why those numbers exist, <laughs> other than Rob, then we'll get you a gift. Just email info at joefarless.com. You can't know him, though. Do you know what they mean? No, I don't have no... I'm okay. No <laughs> Rob says, the number of great guests that Joe gives on a daily basis is amazing. Combine that with his direct and great questions, and this is by far the best podcast on real estate. Joe asks the questions that I want to know when listening, which usually gets into the numbers around the deals his guests do. Absolutely amazing. And I will say that is one thing that I do really like about your podcast is that you're always asked about a deal and then they explain their deal and then you always go into the actual numbers on it. How much did it cost? How much did they put into it? How much did they sell it for? How much does it rent for? And that's very helpful because you can't really get that if you've never done a deal before. And the only way to get that is to hear someone else talk about it. And I'm not sure how many podcasts actually do that. So I agree with Rob. Well, thank you, Theo, and thank you, Rob. And the reason why I do that is because whenever I'm talking to someone and they tell me I got a good deal, that's not helpful for me or anyone listening. But what is helpful is if they dissect the deal or dissect certain aspects of whatever we're talking about, and then we can start learning how they got to a point where they got that good deal or they made a lot of money or lost money. That way we can learn from those experiences. So ultimately, it's just about dissecting stuff to learn from it so that everyone listening can learn from it, I can learn from it, and we all grow together. Please write a review if you haven't already, and that will be helpful to, oh, it'll just make a smile, and it'll help with the podcast too. So thanks everyone for hanging out with us. Hope you got a lot of value from this episode. And we will talk to you tomorrow. Best ever listeners, we have launched bestevercauses.com. That's bestevercauses.com. We profile a nonprofit or a cause that is near and dear to our heart. 
get the word out about their cause and also donate money towards their cause. If you'd like to, one, learn more about the causes that we're profiling, we do one a month, then go to bestevercauses.com. And if you want to suggest a cause that we profile that is near and dear to your heart, then go to bestevercauses.com. And there's a little form at the bottom of the page where you can submit one and we'll check it out. The Target Market Insights podcast is just that, a show solely dedicated to help you learn about target markets through the people successfully shaping them. The show features professionals who work directly with the audience and market you want to connect with in real estate. Listen and subscribe today at targetmarketinsights.com. That's targetmarketinsights.com.